0: Welcome to the hills. All of you in person at West Fort Worth, South Lake, North Richard Hills, all of you watching online. If you're new to our church, we're in a season of rolling out our vision as a church for the next five years. We're calling it Ask for Nations and Generations. Uh, we have a website, nationsgenerations.org. Go look at our seven huge goals for nations, our seven audacious goals for generations. I think you'll be blessed. You'll notice a prayer guide. We're in 40 days of prayer as a church for these goals, and you can join us. There's over 10 days left, and I hope you will. And you will notice that one of our big goals is that we become a church that reflects more of the ethnic diversity of our community. And so a couple of weeks ago, we did a survey and asked you to share with us uh, your ethnic heritage. Now, we realize now our survey was a little confusing. We'll probably try it again uh, later this year, but we got some great and encouraging results back. We learned we're already much more culturally diverse as a church than we realized. For example, we found out we already speak 21 different languages in the Hills Church. Uh, we speak uh, Spanish and Swahili, Arabic and Afrikaans. We speak uh, Russian and Mandarin and sign language. I speak three languages. I speak. Uh, English, Texan, and King James. And I didn't even count those, okay? We also found out we reflect 53 different nations in our church. We have people who were born in other nations, people who have immigrated from other nations. We have people who spent a big part of their life living in other nations. In fact, the only continent on earth that we're not represented at our church is Antarctica. So if any of you would like to go and live in Antarctica for a couple of years so that we can cover the whole globe, I would really appreciate that. What's clear is that even as we talk about going to nations and generations, God is bringing nations and generations to us. And so we're excited about that and what this next five years is going to look like. And what we've been doing is using the book of Nehemiah as a platform to discern some of the commitments and virtues we need to pursue so that we can build a better future. We've already seen we need faith and unity, prayer and perseverance. And what we're going to talk about today is the importance of focus. Now, you know that I love sports illustrations, so I'm going to give two in this message. Here's the first. This picture you're going to see is of coach John Wooden and one of his best players ever, Bill Walton. Coach John Wooden built a dynasty. He won 10 national championships in basketball with the UCLA Bruins. He was a very uh, structured coach. He was a very devout believer. In fact, I'm good friends with the pastor that preached his funeral. Now, Bill Walton, by his own words, was a hippie. And when he came to the campus of UCLA, he chafed under Wooden's structure. One of Wooden's rules was no facial hair on a player. They had a 10-day break. Walton was back sporting a beard. Wooden approaches him and says, Bill, I see you're wearing a beard. You know the rule. And Bill Walton says, Coach, I believe it is my right to wear a beard if I want to. And Coach Wooden said, Bill, do you really believe that? I really do. And Coach Wooden said, Bill, I respect a man that will stand up for his beliefs. And I would die for you to be able to believe what you choose to believe. He said, thanks, coach, and then coach said, and Bill, this team is really gonna miss you. (laughs) Now, Bill Walton looks back and reflects that that was one of the most important teaching moments of his life, because it helped him understand if you're gonna build a team or an organization or a church that's going to build a better future, you can't have a lot of competing agendas. You've got to be focused. And the enemy of focus is distraction. And I'm going to make a bold statement, but I'm going to stand by it. It is easier today to get distracted than it has ever been in history. And the reason is technology. You know what I mean. You had 30 minutes, and you were just channel surfing, and the next thing you know, you binge for 10 hours on Netflix. Somebody sent you a cute little funny video on YouTube and three hours later, you're looking at videos of people pushing their cats in strollers. And by the way, I don't care how low your life has sunk, there are people pushing cats in strollers, it could get worse. Or you saw two people fighting on the internet, insulting each other, and you started to read the comments and two hours later, you're still there. And all it did was make your spirit bitter. It is so easy to spend so much time doing things that are ultimately just a big waste of time. And here's what I believe. Distraction leads to destruction. Now, I don't mean so much that you're going to wreck your life. I mean what you're going to see is that inability to build the life you want to have. You're going to miss out on the real purpose of life. No person and no church can lose focus and find a better future. Nehemiah knew that. So did his enemies. So now we're in chapter 6 of Nehemiah. We're going to start in verse 1. I want you to read with me. When word came to Sinballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sinballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. And then the fifth time Sambalot sent his aid to me with the same message and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem says, it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt And therefore, you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple and save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him. But then he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Zimbalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would have, give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Zimbalat, my God, because of what they've done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elom. In 52 days now one of the first things you notice is that the wall is almost finished when this story takes place in fact everything was finished except the doors and by the way that's a great thing to remember about Satan he never lets up some of us who are older knows you never reach a point in your life where the Satan will not try to derail you and get you off course and so even though they're almost finished the enemies come back one last time now who are these guys Well, when Israel was taken into exile, remember, Jerusalem was in a point where three continents came together, huge trade route. Well, when Israel was taken into exile, these local warlords rose up to fill the void. So they know if you rebuild Jerusalem, all the trade is going to go back to the city and we're going to lose our influence in the region. And so we saw earlier in the book they have threatened violence against the builders. But Nehemiah put a sword on everybody and they uh, were able to defeat that threat. So now they've got to come up with a different plan, a different strategic option. So instead of the threat of war, they tried the threat of peace. Because sometimes people offer peace and it's just a plot. And so... They send this message to Nehemiah that kind of sounds like a politician that just lost a campaign. And they say, We need to get together. I'm sure you could use a break, and we need to get to know each other. Because here's the thing uh, granted, in the past we've had our differences, but now we acknowledge you've been able to do things no governor has ever done before. And here's the thing, Nehemiah like it or not, we're neighbors. So we're going to have to learn how to get along. We're going to have to learn how to peacefully coexist. So let's have a peace conference. Meet us on the plain of Ono. Now, doesn't that sound like an answer to prayer? And that's what many people were telling Nehemiah. You found out later that Tobiah was related by marriage to one of the nobles in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was getting a lot of pressure from powerful people. Go to the peace talk. But he saw through the subterfuge. He noticed they didn't offer to come to Jerusalem where I would be safe and meet with me. They want me to go and meet with them. At worst, this is an assassination plot. At best, it's just a huge distraction. So when they said, meet us at oh no, Nehemiah said, oh no. Okay, I'll admit, I waited all week to use that line. He said, I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Look how it reads in another version. I don't want the work to stop while I leave to meet you. Nehemiah found success because he never lost focus. He stayed focused on the mission. God did not send him to Jerusalem to build political alliances. He was sent there to build the faith of a people by building a wall. And he would not allow vision vampires to set the agenda for his life. Neither should you. What you've got to decide, what we as a church have to decide, what's our yes going to be? And when you know what your yes is, you will know what you need to say no to. So here's my second sports illustration. I think the greatest hitter of all time was a man named Hank Aaron. And the greatest catcher of all time in baseball was Yogi Berra, both deservedly in the Hall of Fame. They met in the World Series. Aaron was a young slugger for the Braves, and Berra was... Famous for distracting hitters. He was constantly talking, chatting, getting them unfocused. Aaron comes to the plate. You're holding the bat wrong, Hank. You're supposed to be able to read the trademark. If you don't change, you're going to break your bat. You got to turn it so that you can read the trademark, Hank. Aaron never said a word. First pitch, he swung, knocked it out of the park, ran around the bases, touched home plate, looked to Barra, and said, I didn't come up here to read Now, it is so easy to become very good at things that do very little good. We've already seen that nations and generations really matter to God. And that's why staying focused on what really matters, really matters. Nehemiah is going to teach us three things about focus. And listen, this is going to apply to you, uh, whether you're just a person who wants a better future or you're talking about your family that you're leading, whether you're talking about your business or your team or a church. Three things that are absolutely true. Here's the first. If you want to build a better future, focus on pursuing the vision. If you don't, it'll go away. Most of us would agree, perhaps the most esteemed institution of learning in this country is Harvard University. And if you get a degree from Harvard, there are gonna be some Latin words on your degree. And you find out what those words mean, you're gonna discover that on your degree are these words. Truth for Christ and the church. Harvard, like most schools in the East, were founded to produce ministers and to build the church. Now, the story of Harvard is just an example of a reality known as mission drift. And mission drift is the gradual but inevitable moving away from your founding purpose if you don't stay intentionally focused. It'll happen to academies, it happens to businesses, to organizations, and it can happen to churches years ago. I read a book by a preacher named Charles Swindle. At the time he lived in Atlanta, this is before Google, he wanted to find a place to eat, so he got out something called the Yellow Pages. And he found a restaurant called Church of God Grill. The name intrigued him, so he called. Why the name? Well, we started out here as a mission to bless this part of the city, and we cooked chicken dinners to help pay the cost. And the dinners were popular. So we cut back on church to make more chicken, and finally we just shut the mission down, and now we're a restaurant. Mission drift happens. It happens in your personal life. You're not heading in the direction of who you said you wanted to be. It happens in your family. It happens in the church. And it hardly ever happens because you got swallowed by a whale. It almost always happens because you got nibbled to death by minnows. And little step by little step, you just wandered away from your founding purpose. I'll say it again, if you don't know what your yes is, your life will get consumed by things you should have said no to. I'm gonna give you two illustrations from my life. So early last summer, I went to have a complete physical and you've heard me say I've reached the age where every time I go to a doctor and I get a compliment, it's always ended with the phrase for someone your age. You know, your cholesterol is great for someone your age. Your blood pressure is great for someone your age. Everything about my physical was great for someone my age, except my kidney function. I was shocked, I feel great, I've had no symptoms. But he said, your numbers for your kidney function are too low. They sent me to a specialist. He looked at the numbers, he said, I'm not concerned yet, but you need to make some changes. And he said, there are three things I have to start saying no to. Number one was inactivity. You need to exercise, that's not a problem for me. I can say yes to that all day. He said, number two is ibuprofen. Now, when I get sore, my response was always to take some ibuprofen. He said, you gotta stop that. And number three, cut back on salt. Okay, wait a second, Doc. (laughs) Do you not know in Revelation it says that when we have the heavenly banquet, we're gonna have chips and salsa at every table that when Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes, the loaves were really pretzels. I love salt. But because of the yes of better kidney function, I said no to salt. Four months later, I did another test, and all of my numbers have improved greatly. I'll say it again. You've got to decide what your big yes is, and it'll help you know what to say no to. Second illustration is edgier. Select sports. Okay, mom and dad, don't you get mad at me till I'm through. So I coached soccer for all three of my kids. When my daughter got about 11 or 12, she reached a point where I didn't know anything else to teach her, and she got a chance to be on a team of select soccer athletes. So we went to the first tryout. That coach ran those little girls for two solid hours. And then he said, we're gonna practice five nights a week for two hours. And three out of four weekends a year, you're going to leave town and be in tournaments. That's what it costs to be on this team. And my wife and I said, if we let her play on this team, she will have to say no to youth group, to mission trips, to retreats, to small group. We will have to say no to family vacation. We will have to say no to having meals together in the evening as a family. And that wasn't the big yes for our family, so we decided not to join the team. I'll never forget one of the mothers of the little girls, when she found out we weren't gonna play select soccer, said, if she doesn't play select soccer, she won't get to play soccer on varsity in high school. And I thought, that's your yes? This is the price you're going to pay for that yes. Now, two quick things. Number one, my daughter did play varsity soccer in high school. And number two, I don't hate select sports if you keep it in balance. I'm just asking parents to ask the question, what's your yes for your children? Do you want to grow up children that are noble and virtuous and are passionate about their walk with Jesus Christ? If that's your yes, what are you going to say no to? This is true for all of us. Do you want the mind of Christ? If that's your yes, stop putting some of the filth in your mind you're doing every week. What's your yes? You say, my yes is to have better Christian friends. If that's your yes, stop saying no to all the reasons why you can't be in a community group or join a ministry. Decide what your yes is, and you'll know what you should say no to. Now, our yes as a church is to make and grow followers of Jesus and for the next five years we're gonna focus on our yes by asking for nations and for generations and we got a great work to do we want to see someone come to Christ every single day and get baptized we want to see kids get fostered and asylum-seeking families get blessed We want to see people grow in Christ through rooted groups. We want to see marriages blessed and young leaders raised up and people break their addictions. We got some big, big things to say yes to. You think the enemy wants us to do that? Here come the minnows. He's going to find all kinds of ways to distract you and to distract us as a church. And one of the biggest is he's going to invite us, just like Nehemiah, to go have conversations. that are a waste of our time. Sometimes the best response is just not to respond. No is a complete sentence. A great way to avoid divisive distractions is to be too busy doing a good work to have time for them. But here's the thing. Even if you don't go meet the enemy, he'll still come try to meet you. And here's the second thing we learned from Nehemiah about focus. That you have to focus on protecting your character. Because Nehemiah's enemies finally realized, why is he such a great leader? And it was all based on his spiritual integrity. So if they couldn't deceive him, they decided they would try to discredit him. They exchanged intimidation for insinuation. And they wrote a letter and it says clearly it was an unsealed letter. Why? So everybody could read it. So anybody that wanted to could hear the accusations. Oh, we hear you're, you're uh, plotting to revolt against the king, and, and you're trying to set yourself up to be king. We hear you've even paid off profits to make you king. That's what we hear. That's the word on the street, by the way. I looked up unsealed letter. In the Hebrew language and it literally means Facebook and so <laughs> they get this out there on the street and here's why Satan knows it doesn't have to be true to do damage it just has to get out there so people talk about it thankfully Nehemiah's own track record of integrity Didn't allow these insinuations to gain a lot of traction. You can read about that in chapter 5. So they tried one more time. They paid off a prophet. Hey, Nehemiah, they're coming to kill you tonight. You and I, we better go hide in the temple and close the door. This is the word of the Lord. And Nehemiah said, wait a second. You received a word from the Lord that tells me to disobey the word of the Lord. Because the word of the Lord was clear. Only a priest could go into the holy place the holy room. Nobody else. Even King Uzzah, when he went in there, got struck with leprosy. So Nehemiah says, you mean God has given you a word to tell me to break his word? That happens all the time today where God has made his word clear and someone says, well, that word doesn't apply today. We need a new word. Nehemiah says, there is no way God sent you a word to tell me to disobey his word. You are trying to tempt me to sin so that I can be discredited. He understood you don't compromise when it comes to obedience. Nothing will destroy your future like justifying sin. So I'm gonna get real honest for a second. One of the most important things all of you can do the next five years for our vision is pray for the spiritual character of your leaders in this church, especially me. I am not the most important person in this church. I am the most visible. And the enemy knows if he can take me out because of some moral failure, it will derail the vision of the whole church. There's story after story after story in our nation of great churches that got completely blown up because of the sin of the pastor. And so I know you pray for my boldness. I know you pray for my faithfulness. I need you to pray for my holiness that I will try to live above reproach. You need to be praying that for every leader in our church. I've always been inspired by these words by Abraham Lincoln. If I were to try to read much less answer all the attacks made on me, this shop might as well be closed to all other business. I do the best I know how. I mean to keep on doing it until the end. If the end brings me out all right, then what is said about me won't amount to anything. And if the end brings me out wrong, 10,000 angels swearing I was right won't make a difference. That's how I want to finish. Doing the best I know how until the end. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you, that we'll finish this vision strong. And to do that, we've got to learn one more thing from Nehemiah. And that is to focus on praying for focus. In other words, if we don't want to drift, then we need to focus in our prayer on asking God to keep us focused. Now, you read the book of Nehemiah, it's clear the man had a robust prayer life. I counted at least 11 times in that book where the man prayed. In fact, sometimes, honestly, his prayer life is too robust for me. Nehemiah had no trouble cursing his enemies in prayer. You can read it in chapter 6, you can go back to chapter 4. He said, they've been bad, God, bring it down on their heads and don't forgive their sins. Now, I don't know what to do with these. We call them imprecatory prayers in the Old Testament where people curse their enemies in prayer because I'm a follower of Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm supposed to bless my enemies when I pray. Two things to remember. Nehemiah never took matters in his own hands. He never tried to take out his enemies. He just prayed about them and said, God, do what you think you ought to do. And number two, he never prayed for his own reputation. He always prayed for God's. So whatever else you conclude, you have to concede. Nehemiah used prayer as a way of staying mission focused. They came after him with threats. They came after him with lies. They came after him with insinuations. And here's what he said. Strengthen my hands, God. I like another version. I prayed, God, make me strong so if you as a person or we as a church want to have the future God wants us to have we need to pray constantly God keep me focused make me strong okay since I've already been more vulnerable than I usually am in a sermon I'm going to do what one more time Last August a year ago, I was not in a good place. I was angry. I was angry because I was getting slandered daily on Facebook by people, some who used to go to this church, about things I never said or did. Here's the reality. As I'm trying to lead a church that becomes more multi-ethnic, that means sometimes as a pastor, I'm going to have to speak about things that we haven't always talked about. And some people got angry and not a single person wrote and said what you taught was not biblical. Their problem was it didn't match up with some of their political convictions. And I started to wonder, is it worth it? This this journey to try to become this beautiful, multicolored church, is it worth it? And I started to pray, and God just impressed upon me Ephesians chapter 2, how the cross of Christ has broken down the wall between the races. John 17, how Jesus prayed, their unity is what will convince the world that I'm who I am. In Revelation 7, around the throne is every nation and tribe and tongue. And it dawned on me, this is God's dream. And then I realized (laughs) my critics weren't the problem. My focus was the problem. I was focusing on my critics instead of focusing on God's dream. And when I got my focus in the right place, I got well again. God, I prayed, make me strong. Jesus doesn't just give focus. Jesus is the model for what it looks like. Do you understand Jesus was the most focused person who ever lived? It says in Luke 9, as he's on his way to go to the cross, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Here's what that means. That means all the ways the enemy tried to sidetrack him, he rejected. He dealt with distraction his entire ministry, and he kept pursuing the mission his father sent him to accomplish. Nothing could distract him from his aim to get to the cross. And on the night before, when he needed focus, he prayed, not my will but thine, and God made him strong. And they put him on that cross, and when his mockers and critics laugh at him said if you're really the son of god why don't you leave here's what he said he said i'm doing a great work and i cannot come down the enemy will do anything to keep you focused on something beside jesus and the mission don't let him do that in fact as i was praying over this lesson this week i just felt really led by the spirit To make this invitation to you. I believe at every campus right now. And online. I'm talking to somebody. Who has let the enemy distract you from committing to Christ. I'm talking to somebody right now. And you're saying yes to things that are keeping you from saying no to Christ. And I am begging you today to make Jesus your yes so I'm gonna pray for you I'm gonna pray for all of you that need to get baptized today I'm gonna pray for all of you that need to turn around and walk back in the direction of Jesus today and I'm gonna pray against everything the enemy is trying to do to distract you bow your heads So God, in the powerful name of Jesus, would you do your mighty work? Holy Spirit, would you convict every heart? There are people that need to get saved today. There are people under the words of this prayer today that need to make some hard choices and choose a new yes. So what I'm praying, Holy Spirit, is that you will move hearts In such a powerful way that yes to Christ is the only thing right now that matters. I pray this for Jesus' sake and glory. Amen.